Again, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Woodside Romeo. I am Billy. I'm your campus pastor. Before I continue, I know you've already heard this once, but I want to go ahead and say it again. Today is a PG-13 message. Like, it wasn't a joke. Like, it's, it's, like it really is. It's a PG-13 message. So if you have any kids, right now we have kids ministry happening for birth all the way through fifth grade. So if you need to help your kids uh, find a, a better environment, then that's great. Otherwise, uh, you have now been warned. So if you are joining us for the first time, we're in this sermon series called Socially Acceptable. You see, here's the thing. You all know that there's a rightness to life and there's a wrongness to life. But this sermon series is about those topics that all of a sudden, even though we know there's things that would fall into that wrongness of life category, we start to live in this fuzzy middle where we just kind of put our arm around some certain sins. And we almost say, you know what, culture's kind of accepted you and we're just going to kind of accept you too. We're just going to live here in the fuzzy middle. So today what we're going to do is we're going to start different than I normally do. Normally, Again, if you're new to us, like you need to know this. Normally what I do is I take the text and we look at the Word of God and then we study the Word of God and in the end I tell you how to apply it. And then still further yet, then oftentimes I'll say, and if you want to be a follower of Jesus, here's how you do that. That's oftentimes what the sermon will feel like on Sunday morning. Today's going to be kind of like a pineapple upside down cake though. It's just going to like everything's going to be upside down because we do often live in the fuzzy middle, don't we? We oftentimes live where everything is um, kind of accepted and okay. Because I think what we do, and I'm just going to talk to us right now within these four walls. I'm just talking to us. I think sometimes what we do is we look in the mirror. And when we look in the mirror, what we think to ourselves is, I'm not for sure why Jesus had to come for me. Because I look at the person in the mirror and I'm not that bad. Isn't that what we often think? I'm not all that, I'm not as bad as that person down the road or that person I heard about on the news tonight or I, I've never murdered anyone. You know, there's people worse. I just don't get it. I don't get why, not what we do. We oftentimes will compare ourselves to everybody else and then say, well, I'm probably okay. If I'm making a list of how good I am or how bad I am, I think I got more good check marks than bad, so I, sh I should be all right. It's not what the Bible says though, does it? It says it's by grace that you're saved through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. Let me say that again in case you missed it. It's by grace that you're saved through faith, not by works. Meaning you can't, you can't be good enough to get a right standing with God. Otherwise, it turns into a competition where we're bragging to each other. So I want you to take your life, and instead of looking and comparing to the person to your left or your right, measure your life on a backdrop of holy. Because when our lives are measured on a backdrop of holiness, that backdrop's going to scream guilty for every single one of us. Romans 3.23 tells us that, doesn't it? It says, all have sinned. That means every single person in this room. Me, you, people to your left, your right, all of us, we've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. The penalty the penalty for our sin is eternal separation from an awesome and a holy God. But Romans 10, 9, and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you'll be saved, that you'll be rescued, that you'll have a right standing with God. And some of you have never done that. 
Like you, you've tried to be good, but you've never stopped and said, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. So I know it's a little backwards, but guys, I want you to notice there's no band up here. There's no anything happening with the lights. This is just about you and your faith journey right now. Can you do this? Let's just bow our heads right where you are. And I just want to give you that quiet place just to be able to respond to truth this morning. But before we do this, um, as you're listening, I want you to know that it's not raising your hand that makes you right with God or going down and talking to a pastor or even saying a prayer where you repeat after me. It's your faith in Christ and your faith alone that makes you have a right standing with God. So if that's you, though, today, if you're that person who's saying, I've, I've never done that, I've never surrendered my life to Jesus, and I want to do that right now, I just want you to be able to pray with me and say, Lord Jesus, for too long I've kept you out of my life. I know I'm a sinner and that I can't save myself by being good. So no longer will I close the door when I hear you knocking. By faith, I gratefully receive your gift of salvation. I'm ready to trust you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God who died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead on the third day. Thank you for taking on my sins and giving me the gift of eternal life. Come into my heart and be my Savior. Amen. 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 I want you to know that when you place Jesus as Lord of your life, it changes everything. That's true for all of us in this room. You know that, right? If Jesus is Lord, it changes everything. We're going to come back to that theme a couple of times today, but what I need you to do, if for the first time you place your faith in Jesus, we take your bulletin right now, take your bulletin. You're going to see that there's a flap on it that you can tear off a communication card. Will you just put your name and information? Because see, following Jesus isn't something that you just one time say, yep, place my faith in Jesus. I'm good now. It's a, it's a growth process, right? Discipleship is every day learning how to die to ourselves, pick up our cross and follow him. And we want to walk with you through that journey. So just fill out your information right there. On the way out, you can hand it to me in the lobby. You can hand it in at the connection or at the next steps desk right to the right of the doors. Just make sure you turn that in to us. But one more thing. Some of you over this past year, you placed your faith in Jesus and you haven't been baptized yet. Like, because I've talked to you, so I know that this is true. I know there's people in this room, you placed your faith in Jesus and never followed that yet with baptism. Two weeks. Guys, in two weeks, we're going to be at Simpson Park. And when I say we are going to be at Simpson Park, I'm talking all of us. Everyone in this service, everyone in the first service, everyone in the third service, all of us all together in one place. At one. Isn't that kind of cool? Like, that's kind of cool. We're going to be together, the whole church family. It's going to be so good. But as part of that service, we have baptisms. There's already six people being baptized. And I mention that. I mention that because I want you to know that if you've been waiting, you're like, I don't want to be baptized alone. It kind of freaks me out a little bit. I'm a little bit nervous. Like to believe in my heart is one thing. To publicly go out, I mean, like I'm just a little nervous. Two weeks, guys. You won't be alone. There's going to be a whole posse of other people getting baptized with you. But I need your name. I need to have a conversation with you or, or someone on our leadership team needs to have a conversation with you. So fill out that information and let us know because we're planning services right now. We need to know how many are going to be baptized that day. So fill out that card. Again, you can give it to me. You can turn it at the next steps desk, but you need to make sure 
you turn that in because we're two weeks away. Church, let's turn to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 is where we're going to be. Hebrews 13, verse 4. Now, you may have heard about this, but recently, a Major League Baseball team, the Kansas City Royals, um, man, they got, they got grumped at a little bit by society. They received a little bit of backlash. Did anyone hear about this? Here, here's what they did. They got all of their minor league players together. Minor league. That means these guys are like 18, 19, you know, 21, 22 years old. They're young. These are young guys. They get these young guys together, these minor league baseball players, and they say, this is not optional. Everyone is going to go through a workshop on the dangers of pornography. Now, we hear that as a church, and we're like, okay, yeah. No, they received huge back. It was in the USA Today, huge backlash. Management came under attack, and here's what was said. They said, you're trying to mix morality and personal freedom and trying to make something a public health concern that's really a First Amendment right. That's what they got attacked for. This uh, viewing pornography is a First Amendment right. This is not a public health concern. Now, management kind of stepped back and they said, yeah, well, this one is worth the backlash. We're not backing off of our stance on this. These guys still have to go through the workshop. But isn't it true that in culture, when it comes to sexual immorality, all of a sudden things like, like pornography, like cohabitation, cohabitation is where you shack up with someone. Like that's how they say it in the South. You shack up. You you're not married, but you're practicing like you're being married, but you ain't married. You know what I'm talking about, right? Where you, what do they call it here? Thank you. Living together. Whatever. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Sex outside of marriage, adultery, homosexuality, like all of these things all of a sudden. Uh, culture has said, these are not sins. We're going to put our arm around these things. These are perfectly acceptable responses. They're, they're totally fine as long as you don't push your view on anyone else is totally okay. And here's the struggle. That all of a sudden, church, this has started to become just not an issue that culture is dealing with. It's right here within this church. And since I'm not someone who gets the opportunity to talk to all of culture, I'm a pastor. I get to talk to the church. I'm just going to talk to the church this morning, okay? Because this is a topic that has invaded the church. 20 years ago in ministry, if I was to sit down with a couple getting ready to get married, it doesn't matter young or old, I did not have to say or are y'all living together? I would have said shacked up, but whatever. Like, that's, you know, I, I would have had to ask that question. I did not have to ask, are you guys already sexually active? I didn't have to. But today, it is a whole different world. Because in the church, even in the church, it is a very normal thing now as a pastor for me to have to say, okay, guy, you can't live together. From this time until you get married, you're going to have to figure out other arrangements if you want me to do this wedding. You came to me and said, but justice of the peace for a reason, right? Sex before marriage isn't something that's looked at as, as strange or odd. It's almost expected now, even for those within the church. Pornography, once upon a time, man, we'd wrinkle our face and go, what in the world? Today, it's different. If you found out someone to your left or someone to your right, if you found out that that person was completely addicted to pornography, you might say, I mean, that's, that's kind of shameful, it's kind of sad, but you wouldn't be all that surprised, now would you? Because it's completely invaded and permeated 
our culture. And I would say that sexuality has reached a place to where the church's view, the church's view is considered narrow-minded by culture. I wish it was just culture. I think it's oftentimes within the church, too. We say the views that the church teaches is narrow-minded. It's archaic. Man, it's like some kind of dinosaur-type mentality. So I think that if we're wise, what we'll do is not just listen to what a pastor says or what does CNN.com say or, or what does uh, the talk show host say. I think what we have to do is go back to biblical truth. Instead of trying to make up some philosophy that fits our ears today, we've got to go to biblical truth for our teaching. I think that's where we should always go, isn't it? For whatever we're looking at in life, we should go back to biblical truth and see what does the Bible say about these topics that we're struggling with today. So Hebrews chapter 13 is where we're going to be. This section of Hebrews is nearing the conclusion. Now, guys, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, which would be a fun sermon. Like, that really would be a fun sermon, just picking apart and looking at, well, some say it's this person, some say it's this person, which isn't even important right now. But we don't know for sure who wrote Hebrews. What we do know is in Hebrews 13, what we see is we see the writer saying, if the gospel is true, which is why we started that way, if the gospel is true, if Jesus is Lord, it changes everything. And if it changes everything, then it's going to change our behavior even. Think about it like a water line. Your life is like, is like a, a, a ripple of water. If you stand on the beach and you look out at the horizon, you can't see what's... I, if you're a smarty pants, I know you can go scuba diving or snorkeling, but I'm talking about you're standing on the beach. If you're standing on the beach, you can't see what's under the surface. It's the same with your life. I'm looking at you, but I don't know what's going on in your heart right now. I'm not God. I can't see your motivation. Your motivations are here, right? Your motivations are inside. I can't see that. I only see behavior. And as parents, as mentors, as friends, isn't that what we do? Oftentimes when we see something messed up with our, with our friends or someone we love or care about, we oftentimes will start to attack behavior first. My encouragement to you is, I mean, yeah, we can do that. We can say, hey, Stop it. I mean, you can do something really, you know, like that. Just tell someone to stop it. Or we can look at what's the heart issue. What's the heart issue of what they're dealing with? And what we see in Hebrews is if, if you understand your identity, that's here, who you are, you're a follower of Jesus, then the next thing that should follow should be your behavior. In verse, no, or, yeah, in verse number four, what we're seeing specifically dealt with is marriage and sexuality outside of marriage, and it brings us to our big idea. Our big idea today is that we should honor the gift of sex in marriage. Honor the gift of sex in marriage. So to do that, first thing you have to do is you have to see that marriage is a beautiful gift from God. Let's go to the Word of God, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. It says this, it says, let marriage be held in honor among all. And I know that's just a short little piece, but I'm going to stop right there. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Among all. That means everybody. That means all play, right? Among all. If you're married, you should hold marriage in honor. If you're not married, if you've never been married, if you used to be, like for everybody, we should all hold marriage in this place of honor. But next we got to talk about what's marriage. You know, in thousands and thousands and thousands of years, we didn't have to talk about what is marriage. Everyone understood it goes all the way back to Genesis, 
Genesis chapter 2, we see marriage designed by God as, as something that exists for a man and a woman for a lifelong commitment. Genesis 2, 24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, hold fast to his wife, cling to his wife, cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, one mind, one heart, one vision. They shall become one. And what I love is the Greek word in the New Testament for marriage is a word that only exists when you bring the masculine and the feminine together. That's the only way the word even exists. So what does it mean for us to honor marriage? Well, it means that you hold it up, that you esteem it, right? That you respect what the creator has done, that you respect the workmanship of the artist. That's what it means. Maybe this will help explain it. When we... Um, when we moved to Portugal, we were missionaries in Portugal for three years. When we moved there, there was a missionary named Don McCain. Don was from Mississippi, and he had like a big old mustache. Like, do you remember the Pringles man mustache? Like, like the big bushy mustache. Anyway, he looked at me, and he's like, so Billy, I'm an artist. It's what I do. And I would love to paint. I've done this for a lot of missionaries. I'd love to paint you a painting of Portugal. And I'm like, man, I'm all over that. Please and thank you. I would love a painting. And so here's what he did. Here's the first canvas that he gave me. This is the first canvas. And that on its own, I thought, and you can see his name, Don McCain, right there on the bottom left. Uh, th there's a first painting. And then the second one looked like this. The second canvas looked like this. And what's kind of cool is when you put them together, looks like that. Now, we, we recognize this in the first service. Here's what bothers me. It's, I don't have one of those laser leveler things, and so I'm pretty sure that's not level. In real life, it's probably the angle. In, in real life, it's completely level, guys. It's all about the angle, because there was a shadow. Because literally, I took this yesterday. I'm like, oh no, Kip, I changed my story. And I wish it, so I took a picture. That's why it's got this professional look to it. Anyway, you've got these two pictures together. Here's what I love about this. I know this spot. Guys, I, I physically, if we went to Portugal, I could go stand with you right on this, because that's actually, do you see kind of in the bottom right of the right one, do you see that little gray part? There's this wall, like a thousand-year-old wall that's right there so that you don't fall off in your car and fall down the cliff and die, but I'm sure it's safe. Anyway, I could take you right there, and we could stand there, and we could look at this scene, and I absolutely love this painting. And when Don gave it to me, I told him that. I'm like, man, I love this. He says, great, that'll be 250 euros, please. <laughs> I just kind of, I did that. Like, it was a nervous laugh. Like, what do you mean it's going to? I, we didn't talk about that. Like, that wasn't part of the deal. And um, he's like, you know, Billy, I don't, I don't really need the money for it. And I was thinking, good, because I don't have that money. But I didn't say that, you know, but I was just listening he goes, no, but I, I really, no, I'm serious. It's 250 euros. He goes, and I'll just take, just so you know, I'll take all that money, put back into ministry and art supplies. He goes, but here's what I've learned is that if I don't charge you for this, you're just going to take it and you won't respect, you don't respect what I've created and they'll end up, I, he goes, I've sent too many times through the years, people end up just stuffing it back in a closet or leaving it in the car, doing, doing just weird stuff. He goes, and, and that's not why I created it. So imagine, imagine that I took that painting this morning. It's on canvas, right? It's on canvas. So imagine I took it and I went over to the two-year-olds this morning and I set it up on an easel and I gave them some watercolors and brushes and I said, go for it, guys. Have fun. 
you can do that on a canvas, guys. You can paint with watercolors. It's perfectly okay. And so they just, and then imagine Don walked in right in that moment. Do you know what that do to his insides? He wouldn't say, well, you already paid for it, so it's your, no, there's something in him that would, or imagine, in the wintertime, it gets kind of cold in Michigan, y'all. Like, it gets a little chilly around here, and canvases have wood. Imagine if I said, well, wood, I can burn wood, so I'm just going to snap it up. I'm still going to keep the canvas part, because it might be toxic. I don't know. I don't know if you're supposed to burn paint or not. I don't think you are. Anyway, but what if I just broke up all the wood? And I threw it in the fireplace and I said, well, I got a little kindling. I'm going to start the fire, you know, and so I'm going to throw the wood in there and, and, and Don walks in. Point's pretty simple, isn't it? We take the gift of sexuality that God has given for marriage and when we try to reshape and redesign that gift, we don't honor the gift and we don't honor the one who created it. The first point is we need to honor the gift of marriage, everyone is supposed to honor it. And that means we hold high the gift that God has given us. And that brings us to our second point. Our second point is marriage is the only context for sexuality. Look at the next part of verse 4. It says, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. In the Greek, marriage bed is really talking about the physical relationship between husband and and wife, and it says, let it be undefiled. The marriage, it doesn't say the cohabitation bed or the living together bed or the shacking up bed. It doesn't say the engagement bed. It doesn't say the Tinder bed or the Bumble bed or whatever the new app is. I don't even know all the apps, right? But it doesn't say, let it be your, your I just need some companionship bed. It doesn't say any of that. It says the marriage bed. Now, I want to add this quickly. When you read the Word of God, this is so important. You should always read through Scripture and say, what is this teaching me about God? And what does this teach me about us, about humanity? And then what should be my response based on truth? Does that make sense? How do I apply it? Soap. That's how you remember it. Soap. Soap. S-O-A-P. If you can't remember all what I just said. Soap. You can remember soap. Soap is scripture. S is scripture. Write the scripture down when you're studying it in your journal. Just write it down. Oh, you need to write down your observations. What do you see in your observation? A. How do you apply the truth that you just read in peace? Spend some time in prayer. When you're making your observations of how do you apply this to your life, it is so simple. And the, the truth is you have to flee from any type of sinful temptation. Isn't that crystal clear to us? I debated whether I should say this, but I, I'm going to say this. Some of you... Some of you haven't crossed physical lines yet, and yet there are emotional affairs going on. You need to hear this. You need to stop. You need to cut that stuff out of your life. Some of you, it's digital affairs, right? You're typing, you're texting, you're whatever. I don't care whether you need to throw your phone away, whether you need to delete your app, whether you need to hurt someone's feelings by saying no thank you. But we're told to hold the gift of God high in our lives. You need to cut that stuff out. Some of you, you have physically crossed lines. You have physically crossed those lines. And I'm going to tell you, that's the place where you've got to stop and repent. You've got to turn from that and turn to God because it brings us to our last point. Sex outside of marriage. Put yourself under God's judgment. Here's what scripture says in the rest of verse 4. It says, For God will judge the sexually immoral 
and the adulteress. And maybe you hear that and you're like, man, that is harsh. That is hard to hear. Think about it in these terms. God created sex. God created marriage. God created holiness. So as a perfect and a holy judge, doesn't it make sense that he has the authority and the right and the power to judge those who go outside the boundaries of what he created? It is holy and just and right. Now, notice what the writer of Hebrews says. It uses the word, the sexually immoral. This is going to make you squirm just a little bit. The sexually immoral and the adulterers. Sexually immoral. It comes from the Greek word pornos, which is where we get our word pornography from. Quite literally, what this says is if you are having sex outside of marriage, that's called fornication, that it's going to bring on God's judgment. That if you're viewing, we call that pornography, that if you're viewing it, it's going to bring on God's judgment. Even if you're lusting, what did Jesus say in Matthew 5? Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, when you lust after someone, you've already committed adultery with them in your own heart. Which means, church, think about this. When you look at someone, and in your mind, you start to cross lines. That very act from a holy and an awesome God brings judgment. See, the thing is, I don't, I don't think I'll ever... Was that exciting for a second? Did y'all hear that? I don't, I don't want to ever talk to you about God's judgment, though, without talking to you about God's grace. I want you to think about this. When, when you repent of your sin and you turn from it and turn to Jesus, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden the promise of God's judgment goes away. It's just that judgment, instead of falling on you, it falls on Christ. The cross of Jesus... The cross of Jesus did something powerful because that's where God's justice was satisfied against the sexual immorality and his grace was extended to repentant sinners. You see, when we go to the cross, God's judgment doesn't fall on us. It falls on the cross of Jesus. That's why we started the message the way we did this morning. Because if Jesus is Lord, it truly changes everything, doesn't it? You see, we hear messages like today, not so that I can say, hey, everybody, we need to straighten up and fly right. Like we need to cut the sexual immorality out of our lives so that we can be good boys and good girls. It's bigger than that. It's not so that we can straighten up and we can live a certain kind of life so that we can be better than the people down the street. That's not why we do it. We do it because if Jesus is Lord, it changes everything. My life is not my own. I've been purchased my goal in life now isn't to be good, it's to live as Christ. Do you hear the difference? It's not to be good, it's to live a life that's holy, it's to live as Jesus. It means that when I speak, when I speak, the very words I speak should be the words of Jesus. People, when they're around me, they should say, Billy speaks words of love and life. When I serve, look at your hands, when you serve the way that you serve, it should be as Christ. When you love the world around you, it should be as Christ. The way we handle our finances, that money is not yours. You don't take it with you. You're a manager of those funds. Right? We're stewards of those funds. You handle your finances like Christ. 
the way you forgive, that bitterness isn't yours to hang on to. You don't get to judge that person. That's not your role. You get to live as Christ. You get to forgive those who have done wrong to you. And when it comes to sexual morality, our goal is to live as Christ. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for today. We thank you for the freedom that we have from the cross because you are a holy and a righteous judge. And because you are a right judge, because you demand justice, it means that someone has to pay and the cross says, you have paid. So Lord, we thank you for the freedom that we have. We thank you for the truth that we don't have to live in the chains of, of sin and shame, that we're free. And Jesus, we are free. Lord, your grace, your grace is so incredible. I pray that as we prepare to finish this morning, that we finish from a place of freedom, that we finish from a place of celebration in the work that you have done, in the work that you're currently doing in our hearts, in the work that we know you will continue to do. Lord, we don't want to be the same. We don't want to be the same as what culture may say or what philosophers may say. We want to examine our lives against a backdrop of holy. Lord, my hope is that when people see me, they see through me. They see you through me. I continue to become less as you continue to become greater. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us in those places where we have fallen short in this area, where we have sinned. Continue to sharpen us into what it means to be a better reflection of you. In Jesus' name we pray.